Welcome to episode 8 of Streams and Variations, the podcast where writing evolves. In this show, you will first hear a song based on a prompt. That song has then been passed on to a writer who has written a monologue inspired by the song. That monologue is then passed on to a songwriter who writes a song based on that monologue, then on to another writer, and so on. Like a game of broken telephone, each writer has only seen the work that immediately precedes their own. What elements of each piece will carry through? What recurring ideas and themes will we see? What changes will arise from the mind of each new artist? Let's find out. My name is Jamie Johnson, and I'll be your host. Place. What does that mean to a piece of writing? Yes, there is a setting, there is a time within the story, there are things within the story that give it a distinct reality that makes it easier to see, but what about the writer's place? Where that writer is, what circumstances they are writing in? Take a simple story. Let's say a young person is asked to go to the store down the road to get a cart of milk. That young person goes to the store, buys the milk, and comes home. Simple enough. Now, give that story to a writer in Tokyo, a writer in Toronto, a writer in Bogota. How do you think each of these writers would write that story? Just think about it. I'm pretty sure those stories would be radically different. The author's place gives them very different ideas of that trip. Listen for those kinds of differences. That's what stories are all about. Like all of our writing streams, we've brought together the talents of six creators and placed them on strict deadlines. Each piece you will hear was created over the course of one week, and these new creations become the basis for the pieces that follow them. Listen closely and try to find the threads that bind the stories together. Try to see what each new creator brings to the process. See how the story evolves. The talkback for this stream, episode 8, will be released on June 14th. These talkbacks, discussions between myself, co-producer Sean Erker, and the artists from the stream give a look into the creative process. Listen in as we discover how these storytellers work. Hear how our impression of these pieces can change as we reveal what the artists see. These artists are an integral part of the storytelling experience. Their perceptions are what drive the process forward. Listen in as we find our way through the evolution of the story. Each full episode in Talkback is available through our website, or you can subscribe through your preferred service so you don't miss any stories based on songs based on stories. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to tell people, your friends, your enemies, your mom, your dad, or your Uncle Bill that talks way too much about scotch. He might like it too. This episode contains monologues written by Nathan Howe, Brian Russell, and Danielle Richardson. These monologues are performed by Oliver Giorgio, Martin Sims, and Joey O'Dale and it contains songs written and performed by Peter Graham, Melanie Brulé, and Wizard Wizard. So sit back, listen intently, and let these artists carry you through this stream and its variations. Song 1. No Surprise. Written by Peter Graham. Performed by the Peter Graham Band. Scribed were met with wet-eyed nostalgia. 
sixth or seventh night You took us by surprise You were drawn Nathan Howe, performed by Oliver Giorgio. Hi, thanks for your text. Uh, it's great to hear from you. Just to, you know, know you're still alive. And, uh, so I'm at work, just leaving my desk and I, uh, uh just a sec. Thanks, guys. Okay, see you tomorrow. Sorry. No one's answering today. Like, even my parents didn't pick up, so she did this last year and the year before, and it's never the same. But there's no way she knows you. We just game these days, so I, I thought, oh no, it could happen here. I could go to the bathroom, come out, and bam, that's when they pounce from the cubicles. No, she wouldn't. She would. She definitely would. Here goes. Let's just get the hell out of here. I can't believe I was so stupid. I should have... You, you see, it's Allie. My... Well, I guess my girlfriend. I know. I should have talked to her ages ago because... Damn. Be smarter than that. The elevator's too easy. They're probably down in the lobby. The stairs... Jumps out from a cubicle. I'm. Oh, I should have sent the elevator down and listened. Dummy. Hello? Okay. So, uh, I met Allie just over four years ago. She came to a poker game. Her cousin used to work with me, and it doesn't matter. Uh, she kept calling my bluffs all night, then went home with the money. Just picked it up, winked, and walked out. Like, usually the winner buys pizza. 
A couple days later, I'm having lunch at a picnic bench. I'm telling a friend about the, this woman who could practically read my mind. He looks up. I turn around and she's like, boo! I jolt up so quick, I slam my legs on the table and spill iced tea on my crotch. And she cackles, my ears are burning. I'm Allie. I guess I owe you some pants. <laughs> We've been going out since. She's great. Thoughtful, fun, we live together. But, like, sometimes she's a bit intense. Okay, be able to sneak out if they're clumped at the elevator. Yeah, I think I'm... Hello? I'm clear. Where could... The parking garage. Last year it started with my car radio, so today I biked. But they'll surround me in the bike cage when I've got my head down, and bam! Or something will be on the helmet. I guess I'm walking home. Um, so if you get this in time, could you please call Allie? She's not going to pick up if I call, and I'm too late. She won't call it off. I'm texting you her number. You're my last hope here. Yeah, if she got to you, then she's gone overboard using my gaming passwords. Again, thanks for the birthday message. It's been a, well, you can guess what kind of day it's been. The worst is that everyone ignores you because they don't want to ruin the damn surprise. I'm alone all day so they can make me jump or scream or feel even more horrible for a moment. (laughs) Ha ha, we got you, yeah! (laughs) Okay. Call me back or I'll call you when I get close. Bye. So I've been thinking, sorry, it's, it's me again. I've been thinking, I'm trying to predict what she'll predict I'll do. So I'm making all these, what I perceive to be unpredictable choices. But then I was thinking about what I told you before, our first meeting, when she called my bluffs in poker, she knew when I was holding too. She knew when I thought I had the upper hand and she'd fold, which means she's already predicted I'll be unpredictable. It's no surprise she'll plan a surprise and she knows I know that. That's why the lobby was empty, because it was too easy. That's why it won't be in our apartment, too easy. Sorry, I'll, I'm walking down a winding alternate route. I have to pee because I didn't feel safe enough to use the bathroom at work. And it's my damn birthday. Uh, maybe there's a part of... Don't worry, I, I won't make you listen to me pee. Weird. Full park, zero kids. Is that... I think I just saw my cousin from out of town. There's no other reason for her to be here. But there's no... I'm moving closer. It's not out of the realm of possibility, right? Allie's so intense about... Like, the way I react to Celine Dion is how she reacts to, like, the dun-dun from Jaws. The anticipation, the beauty of the suspense brings her to tears. I've been tolerant of that for four years. Uh, she's not... <laughs> I'm making her out to sound evil. She's not evil. She's the most fun person I've ever met. And we're in love. But it's not even for birthdays. Usually, if I can't see her, I assume she's going to jump out of somewhere. And that's just her passion. And who wants to crush a passion? I can't... How do you talk to someone about... That is... I'm pretty sure that's my cousin. And that's... Hey, Tom! Tom! He's pretending not to hear me. I see you! Sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. Uh, Tom! You think I won't recognize you in glasses? Where is she? I don't want this. 
I don't want this. Oh, oh, I don't think. I'll call you back. on my block. The lights are off in my apartment as far as I can tell. It's not dark yet, so can't be in an alley. So the park was a false alarm. I was yelling at strangers. I don't know. Maybe this year's surprise is that there is no surprise. No, pretty sure that's my brother's car. And is this... Who do I know who drives around with a big book of CDs? Okay, I'm checking... There's a fancy car seat in there. It's my brother's. Oh, come on! I'm not even close! I can't. He tinted his windows. Oh. Sorry, I thought... Okay, yeah, no problem. Neighbor's car. Someone just moved in my window. I should set another one of these off. I live right there. I'm just... Wait, can I use your bathroom? Okay, sorry again. Come on, I'm obviously in distress here. Now I understand when people talk about their back teeth floating. Oh, I can't go in there. Elevator. The back stairs. Huh. I'm running like the damn hunchback in Notre Dame. going with the classic apartment surprise. She makes me squirm the whole way home. Constant dread. What'll happen when I pee myself? This is no way to live. Oh, sorry, I'm heaping all this on your voicemail. This is just... Oh, I should try my neighbor. They'd let me pee. No, no, they'd be at the party. She probably knows I didn't go to the bathroom after work that I took the long way. Wait, are you in on this? Who goes this long without checking their messages? I've left two, and you haven't even sent a text. Are you in there listening to these? You're all in there having... Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, it's happening. Shit. Happy goddamn birthday. I can't go in there. No, elevator's coming. I don't even get the excuse of peeing myself in shock. You all owe me some pants. Song 2. Alley. Written and performed by Melanie Brulé. Time, oh, Ellie. 
Written by Brian Russell. Performed by Martin Sims. I know she isn't real. Let that be the first thing you write down in your little notebook there. I don't want there to be any misconceptions about my mental state. I made her up. Big deal. It's not like I talk about her with anyone. Believe me, I'm well aware of how crazy this all sounds, so no. I'm not exactly going to bring up the subject of having a fictional partner around the dinner table. Because the last thing I want right now is having to feel the series of never-ending questions I'm likely to get from family and friends few that I have left, that is. And quite frankly, what goes on between me and Chloe, it's nobody's business. I shouldn't have to explain myself or the need to have someone in my life I can be open with who isn't my therapist. And other than our sessions, there isn't anyone else I talk to about this. You see... That will always be one of the fundamental differences between Sasha and I. While she went ahead and broadcast all of our problems to everyone, whether it was through one of her paintings or getting shit-faced drunk and telling sob stories about what a horrible boyfriend I was, even now, I remain quiet about our private life. Why? 
because unlike her, I want to protect her reputation out of respect for the people who knew her and the memories they have of her. She may have done a lot of damage and cost me the majority of the friends that we made while we were together, but this isn't about me or her, it's about them. It wouldn't be fair for me to take something away from those who knew her now that she's gone. You have to understand, people naturally gravitated towards her. Sasha was fun and, and vibrant in public, always smiling, carrying the spark of life that lit up a room. Her charisma was off the charts. She inspired people and made them feel good about themselves. And therein lies the irony, because behind closed doors, that wasn't her at all. Well, no one needs to know that deep down inside, she was hurting and craving attention, or that she used emotional blackmail to get what she wanted, and, and would do things like throw hissy fits whenever a magazine or website would make me an offer to showcase my work. Must be nice to have all these companies fawning all over your pictures like you're the world's greatest photographer. I can't wait to see the day that I make more money than you off one of my paintings than you do in an entire year. That's something she said to me when an old high school friend asked me if I could take new headshots of them for the talent agency they just signed on with. You know what that friend paid me? Nothing. I did it for free because they were short on cash and needed my help, and I was happy to oblige them. Sasha had this way of making me feel bad about myself for who I was, which always resulted in me shifting my focus to work more on her needs. So at this point, you might be wondering why in God's name I was with her for as long as I was. Like all relationships, it didn't start out that way. In the beginning, it was good. Shit, it was better than good. When Sasha and I first met, we immediately clicked on what seemed like every level. And that public facade I mentioned? Impossible not to fall for. I mean, it was infectious. When she told me she was into creating her own paintings and sculptures, I thought, holy shit, this is it. Another artist. How perfect. Boy, was I wrong. She just became a completely different person over time. It's like something, I don't know, possessed her or something. Seriously, how do you go from not having a single argument with someone for the first year you're together to being berated for your accomplishments, condemned for your shortcomings, and held accountable for every imperfection under the sun? It, it, it just doesn't make sense. Just like it doesn't make sense that she's the one who cheated on me with multiple people, one of whom was my best friend since childhood, I might add, and then went on to stab me in the back. But I'm the one who lost friends when it ended between us? All I ever did was love her and support her and offer her empathy and kindness. I saw us uh, as a team. But for some ungodly reason, she chose the role of enemy within and gave an Oscar-worthy performance. Maybe I could have done more. I'm not claiming to be perfect. Yet on the flip side... 
considering my experiences with Sasha and the fallout of what transpired, can anyone really blame me for creating an imaginary girlfriend? Someone who doesn't judge me or pressure me or constantly go out of their way to tell me there's something wrong with me because in their opinion, unless I'm showing interest in her body or sex, I'm, I'm not really a man. It would be a hell of a lot easier for me, too, if I could be like everyone else, but I didn't choose to be this way. And it certainly doesn't give someone a free pass to sleep around on me and then lie to my face about it. It doesn't make it okay for them to paint themselves as a victim by sharing the intimate details, or lack thereof, of our relationship with the trysts and flings, or to make a mockery of what we shared to our mutual friends. I got news for you, Sasha. You think it's a struggle for you? Try having your girlfriend call you late one night in a drunken rage to tell you that unless you change things in the bedroom, she's going to take up a job as a professional dominatrix because you're not fulfilling her sexual desires and she needs the drama for her art. Mark my words. Sasha is the last person who I'm ever going to tolerate that sort of behavior from again. Like I'm some sort of freak who, who's undeserving of love. I haven't figured it all out yet. Half the time, I still feel lost. But just because I'm different, just because I'm different, that doesn't mean I'm broken. Chloe, real or not, helps me recognize that and reminds me that I'm done feeling that way. And that I'm really done with the asshole parade made up of fair-weather friends who treat me like I don't belong. Chloe's become my rebound without consequence because no one gets hurt when this is over. Unless it's me. No one's going to die. And if it comes to that, she dies with me. Which potentially leaves me with no choice but to have the very awkward and uncomfortable conversation I was avoiding having with Sasha anyway. If you believe in that sort of thing and I ever see her again. So what does it matter? sometimes wonder where she is, you know? Does she listen in on the private conversations I have with Chloe? Does she know I found out about the cheating and purposefully made every effort possible to steer clear of discussing it with her? That I was just as afraid and confused as she was? Maybe I have unintentionally provided her with some semblance of understanding in death that I couldn't provide her in life, and she finally gets it. I never told her about the engagement ring I had stashed away either. Kept it under lock and key for the last year we were together. The year everything went to shit. Oddly enough, one of Sasha's biggest complaints about me was that she didn't think our relationship was moving forward. But by then, how could it? We were no longer communicating with one another effectively. It had all turned ugly and abusive, and then Chloe entered my life. Perhaps we just weren't right for each other. The night before Sasha died, we had sex for the first time in months. She didn't know that I'd found out what she was doing with other guys behind my back or that I was making a last-ditch effort to salvage whatever we had left. She was despondent at best, not into it at all. We finished, she went to sleep, and that's when I realized I had been waking up next to a corpse with a cold shoulder almost every day for months. And the next morning it stopped being a metaphor. On February 29th, 2016... Sasha died in her sleep of a brain aneurysm while sleeping next to me. I don't know how long she was dead in bed before I woke up. I feel like I've tried everything to erase the memories of that morning, but that shit will stick to anybody. 
At least, it was a leap year, so... Technically speaking, I only have to worry about the anniversary of that day every four years. There's some comfort in that, I guess. I couldn't find the courage to attend her funeral. Too many of her friends were going there, so... Chloe and I lit a candle and held our own little private ceremony in her honor. I had never felt safer to be myself while also experiencing such an overwhelming sense of loneliness all at the same time in my entire life. It was a bizarre combination. As for Sasha, I can only hope that she's found peace and that she's in a better place than the one I could give her here. Song 3 Maybe I'm Different Written and performed by Wizard Wizard
Monologue 3, Go to the Water, written by Danielle Richardson, performed by Joey O'Dale. Go to the water, go to the water, when the news breaks, that invasion has wrought and will inevitably heal again. Leave your socks and shoes on the grass. Keep the sand out, sand gets everywhere. I know you hate to be out of control, but lose control. Express the grief and fear and longing. It's what would frighten them most. You, reckless and fragile. If it is warm enough, and it usually is, peel off your dress. Let your puckering skin resist, like flesh cold after feathers plucked. Wade into the water, splashing up past your knees, through pain and judgment. Brave, pain and judgment. the cold water stings most. Pinching, skin goosebump prickling. Keep moving. Float. Waves lapping, drum and hammer, blotting out white noise, dismissing, blurring sound. Flex your feet. Stretch the ankle. Toes right angle attention. Put your feet up. Drink it in. Soak. Like in the womb. Like in your bathtub. Home birth. You can be tired here. The water is safety. The water is safety. Fresh start. Like forgiveness. Like forgiveness. When you feel sorrow, aggressive and bursting, head for the shore. Dip your toes in, even when they tell you not to swim in the river. Mind the current. How it can whip pull you under without warning. The river doesn't owe us warning when she's been desecrated. And neither do I. Nakedness, flush, becomes you, washing off precious platitudes. Keep moving. Keep moving and trusting. Nipples forced covered, sexuality both exploited and shamed, and then they can't sink you until you're too tired to argue. Deserving of relaxation, let go. Do not think you have spent so much time thinking. Thinking about her. Thinking about her. What can you say? She is impossible not to fall for, and you fell for her. No epidural, you fell for her. Bob under and scream silent bubbles as if sipped from a chalice when you haven't done anything wrong. when you haven't done anything wrong. Go to the water when you feel sorrow, when the news breaks aggressive and bursting that invasion has wrought and will inevitably heal again. Head for the shore. Dip your toes in. Leave your socks and shoes on the grass. Keep the sand out. Even when they tell you not to swim in the river, sand gets everywhere. Mind the current. How it can whip pull you under. I know you hate to be out of control, but lose control. Express the grief and fear and longing. Without warning, what would frighten them most? You, 
reckless and fragile. The river doesn't owe us warning when she has been desecrated, and neither do I. If it is warm enough, and it usually and it is, usually is, peel off your dress. Nakedness flush becomes you. Let your puckering skin resist like flesh cold after feathers plucked wade into the water. Washing off precious platitudes. Splashing up past your knees. Keep moving through pain and judgment. Keep moving. Brave and trusting. The cold water stings most. Pinching Skin goose bump prickling, nipples force covered, sexuality both exploited and shamed. Keep moving and then float. They can't sink you. Waves lapping, drum and hammer, blotting out white noise, dismissing blurring sound until you're too tired to argue. Flex your feet. Stretch the ankle, toes right angle attention, deserving of relaxation, let go. Put your feet up. Do not think you have spent so much time thinking, thinking about her. Drink it in. (laughs) What can you say? She is impossible not to fall for, and you fell for her. Soak, like in the womb, like in your bathtub. Home birth, no epidural. You fell for her. You can be tired here. Bob under and scream silent bubbles. The water is safety. Fresh start, as if sipped from a chalice. Like forgiveness. When you haven't done anything wrong. When you haven't done anything wrong. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Nathan Howe, Brian Russell, Danielle Richardson, Peter Graham, Melanie Brule, and Wizard Wizard, Cat Montgomery and Joe McLean, for creating pieces for this episode. And thank you to Oliver Giorgio, Martin Sims, and Joey O'Dale for their performances. For more information about our artists, visit our website at streamsandvariations.com. And if you like what you heard, tell people. You can find us at Streams and Variations on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, our handle is at variationspod. Let us know what you think by dropping us a comment or questions by email at streamsandvariationspodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode is the eighth in our Talkback series, where we discuss this writing stream with playwrights Danielle Richardson and Brian Russell. Come back and see us again and hear more songs based on stories based on songs. Bye for now.